Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. So we're starting a series uh, today, and it's it's uh, titled "Building Altars and Redigging Wells," and it comes out of a, a, a story in Genesis 26, 18 to twenty six. I'm not going to use that scripture today, but I'm going to give you a, a, a insight into it. Pastor Kimberly is going to be preaching on that in about two weeks. Um, but Genesis twenty six eighteen to twenty six tells the story of a water shortage, a drought, and the Israelite people were, were uh, sent to redig the wells of their forefathers. So wells that their parents had dug that had water coming out of them, but no longer had water coming out. So the children had to dig to get access to the life and the water that was there. Some of them were wells that had run dry and others were ones that people had come and filled with dirt intentionally as a, uh, a war tactic. Um, but that the flow of life was not currently available. But although the well needed to be redug, the well still had life in it. Some things in our life are dormant, not dead, right? So we have to be careful that we don't call something dead that's actually just dormant. And dormant things require a little bit of work from us. Um, uh, We see after this short story, uh, like I said, but Pastor Kimberly is going to talk about it in two weeks, is that when when they see the fulfillment of the access to water. So after they redig these wells, they get access to water, then they build an altar and worship God. Building an altar is often an expression that uh, it's a reminder of our source. So it's funny, there's a well, they dig it, they get access to water, then immediately they worship God because he gave them access to the water. So much in our life is dependent on us understanding where our source is. If we ever misalign that, then we become responsible for something that God wants to be responsible for. That's when we think about all these things we need without taking any time to pray about those things. When I pray, I put it on God's shoulders. When I think about it, I get anxious and put it on my shoulders. I'd prefer to pray and put it on God's shoulders. Finances, relationships, whatever it is. Uh, Today, we're going to spend some time focusing on building altars. And I know altars um, either sounds funny or a wee bit super spiritual. Um, But if you're willing to lean in and journey with me, I know that God has something specific he wants to speak to you about. So we're going to turn to Matthew 17, uh, 1 to 9. Matthew 17, 1 to 9. This is the story, um, if you've been in, in, in church, you maybe have heard it called the transfiguration, which sounds very big and very confusing. The transfiguration, though, is this moment where Jesus uh, shines bright because he shines the glory of God. And I'm going to read this to you. We're, we'll start uh, in 1 verse 9, and then I'll read the title and we'll pray and we'll go from there. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, 
One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. My title, if you're taking notes, you can write at the top of your page, is Down from the Mountain. Down from the Mountain. Why don't you close your eyes? I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. God, I thank you that you are faithful to show up as you said you would. God, faithful to show up in this moment right here where we're gathered. Faithful to show up in our times of needs when we're not in the room. Faithful in all things, even when we're not faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this, is a, this was the story that immediately jumped out at me when we were doing this series, um, which is a, I want to say it's an unusual story to jump out at. But it's this story, right? Jesus is going up to the mountain. He's with three of his 12 disciples, his favorites. At least that's what they say. <laughs> and he goes up to this moment and they have an experience. Have you ever had an experience with Jesus? A moment. And, and it's amazing that they're up on a mountain, right? Because sometimes we would use that term. We had a mountaintop experience. And they're in this space where they're up on the mountain. Jesus shines bright. Like he's, he's so bright and it's nothing they have ever seen before. It's way better than that twilight image where Ed goes to the top and he shines like diamonds. Like way better than that transfigure movement. Does everyone know what I'm talking about? You should be ashamed that you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Funny aside, when uh, Kimberly and I were about a year married, I, I made her stay up till 3 a.m. watching all the Twilights with me. It was not by her desire at all. But there's this moment and Jesus shines bright and this thing happens in their world that they have never experienced before. These are guys who have been around Jesus for a long time. Every time you read through stories of the disciples, recognize where they are in their journey and you realize that they encounter things with Jesus anew each time, even though they were face to face with him regularly for a number of years. And this moment happens where they see Jesus and not only do they see Jesus, they see Moses and Elijah. And Moses and Elijah are what I would call Jewish goats. Greatest of all times. See? Been working hard on it, guys. <laughs> but they were. So Peter looks and he sees Moses. He sees Elijah. And suddenly something clicks for him. Jesus must also be a greatest of all time. I know I've spent time with Jesus and he's healed people. I know I've spent time with Jesus and he's cast demons out. I know I've spent time with Jesus and he's pretty wise. He tells me he's pretty smart things, but he must be equal and equivalent 
to Elijah and Moses. He shines and these three people show up at the same time. The people that I've always heard of, the greats, Moses, who wrote the first books of the Bible, who gave us the Ten Commandments, who helped free the Israelites from slavery. Elijah, who was up on a mountain, up on Mount Carmel, and he calls down fire from heaven. The fire comes, it eats up the sacrifice. It eats up the wood, it eats up the water. And he shows the power of who God is in contrast to the power of what people believed of the gods of the day. Peter looks and he sees that Jesus is a disciple, or sorry, Jesus is a greatest of all time of the Jewish faith, just like Elijah and Moses. He has this mountaintop experience. Peter quickly retorts. He says, wow, this is something I want to sit in. This is a space I want to stay. Let us build three shelters. Let us build tabernacles, they call. Tabernacles would have altars in them. Let's build these homes so that Moses could stay here, so that Elijah could stay here, so that Jesus could stay here, and that I could be a part of this wonderful moment. How many of you have these moments? I don't know what they are, but they are mountaintop moments, and you just want to park there. You just want to sit there forever. You think, I know what the rest of life looks like. I know what's going on down below the mountain. So I would like to stay on this mountaintop with Jesus and the greatest of all times right here because this is where I want to be. He has this moment, this, this moment that transforms his life. You hear the voice of God come out of the clouds and it echoes a voice of God we read earlier in Scripture. It says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Do you know when we've heard that before? The moment when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and he comes out and a dove comes from heaven and says, this is my son to whom I am well pleased. This moment before Jesus starts his ministry, he's baptized in the water, he comes out of the water and God tells Jesus who he is. At that moment when he's baptized by John, none of his disciples are around. They haven't been called yet. This word was spoken not for his disciples, not for others to hear, but for Jesus to know who he was. This is Jesus' mountaintop experience in some ways. God tells you who you are. What happens after a mountaintop experience with Jesus? He goes out to fast for 40 days to get tempted by the devil. Isn't that just feel like how your mountaintop experience seems to go? Mountaintop, valley low. It's a song, isn't it? I don't know what it is. Please don't sing it. <laughs> yeah, I said, please don't sing it. <laughs> Moses has this mountaintop moment. He goes up onto the mountain. He hears from God. God writes tablets with his finger. He writes these things down of, the, of how the temple is going to be built, of how altars are going to be built, of how all of these things are going to happen. And what happens when Moses comes down off the mountain? He encounters the Israelite people who feel like Moses has been gone too long that thought, let's just, let's just throw gold and stuff into the fire and a calf will jump out is what they tell Moses. Well, a calf just jumped out of the fire when we put the metal in. Moses comes down from his mountaintop experience to see the Israelites profaning who God is and he crushes in anger the tablets. Mountaintop experience, valley low. 
Elijah's on Mount Carmel. He calls fire from heaven. It consumes the, the sacrifice that is on the altar. It shows the reality of the power of who God is. He prays then. He prays for water, uh, for rain to come because it's been a drought throughout the land. And then immediately Jezebel, the queen, is going to kill him. So what does he do? He runs and hides. Mountaintop experience, valley low. I know. I read those stories. I'm Peter, and I'm thinking, yeah, let's camp on this mountaintop. <laughs> I know what happens when I come off of the mountaintop. But I think there's something that we need to learn out of Peter's expression. Peter's, Peter is not uh, chastised by God. He's not chastised by Jesus about this idea. Jesus, in some ways, is, is, he doesn't say, Peter, which, you know, Jesus was pretty good about telling Peter when he said things wrong. Get behind me, Satan, was one of his favorites. But Jesus doesn't chastise him. So it's not like what Peter wanted was wrong, but it may have been misaligned. I think sometimes what happens is we want to stay on the mountaintop in the physical, but God's saying to remain on that mountaintop in the spiritual, not the physical. Immediately after he has this moment on the mountaintop where he sees something that someone hasn't seen yet, that Jesus is more than what I've seen. He hears this voice from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And what does, what does God add in this spot that he doesn't add in the baptism? He says, listen to him. Because this time God wasn't speaking for Jesus' behalf. He was speaking for Peter, James, and John's behalf. This is my son. Listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. Jesus says, let's go down the mountain. I, I am with you all. I want to be on the mountain and stay on the mountain. But I titled this down from the mountain. So that must mean that there's some reason that we need to come down from the mountain. I know many people today are not down from the mountain. They're up on the mountain. Jez came down from the mountain yesterday. Hopefully he didn't break any bones because he's getting old. But there's these moments, right, where we have an encounter with God and we want to stay in that encounter with God. But the thing is, every encounter with God is to give us a picture of something so that we can persevere when the picture is not currently present anymore. They get this picture of Jesus transfixed, Jesus bright, Jesus shining with the glory of God. And Jesus says, don't tell people this until I'm rose, rise from the dead again. What is he saying? He's like, don't tell people about this until it's come into fruition. When Jesus raises from the dead, he is transfixed in the same way. He has a new body. He's turned anew. So what have they given Peter, James, and John in this moment? They've given him a picture of the future that is available for them. And then, he, then Jesus tells them, to come down the mountain. I started before I even started the message talking about the picture and the vision that God gives us. And then the baby step he puts in front of us. Isn't it amazing that after the mountaintop experience, the valley comes low? Because in that moment, God's asking this simple question. Do you trust me? It's really easy to trust God in the mountain. 
when he's shining bright. You know, let's, let's break it down. It's really easy for Pastor Josiah to trust God tells us to move to Paros Theater, move out of Paros Theater, to show up at City Dance, and have very few of us show up. But God says, do you trust me? It's always easy to trust God on the mountain. But the mountain is meant to be a picture so that you will take the steps, not a parking spot. If I sit at the mountain, I never see the fulfillment of the vision that God puts in front of me. If I sit at the mountain, I, I never take the step that God needs me to take. The, the unfortunate reality about the, the way that God works is he gives us a picture of our future and he asks us to be participators in it. I want God to show up bright, white, shining like the, I don't know, the sun or I, my allegories of loss, but you know, shining bright and beautiful and all of these things. Yet he says, hey, I'm going to do that and you're going to do something too. Too often we, we are trying to have God do all the work on our behalf where God's giving us the picture so we can be participators in that. I, I wish that God gave me every step along the way. He doesn't. He gives you the next step. And you say, but God, I need to know what happens after that. And he said, I happen after that. I happen before that. I happen in that. And I happen after that. Let me encourage you, if, if there's a vision, a picture, a, a, a perspective, a moment that God has given you, where he's given you a promise, where he's given you a, a picture of what your family could look like, where he's given a picture of what the church could look like, what he, he's given a picture of what your business could look like, where he's given you a picture of what your marriage could look like, what your children could look like, what your uh, finances could look like, any of those pictures, be aware that the step that he gives you feels so insignificant, so insufficient, so bare minimum and not even worth doing that he's still asking you to do it so that he knows that you still trust him. Obedience always trumps outcome. Let me say that again. Obedience always trumps outcome. We need to be people who step off from the mountain moment, park in the spirit, but not in the feet. Peter, James, and John have this mountain moment where they see God transfixed. They see the glory of who God is. And their responsibility is to keep that at the forefront of every step that they now take. To know this is who God is in the good, in the bad, in the ugly, in the less ugly, in the in the good times, the bad times. Peter goes on to recognize that Jesus was not just one of the Jewish greats. He goes on to recognize that Jesus was the Jewish great. But in that moment, he could only comprehend what he could comprehend. Sometimes we want to build an altar to stay there. You know, there's this other person in the Bible, his name's Abraham. And uh, I think we'll talk about it next week a bit more when I preach. Uh, but... Abraham's story is really interesting because he builds an altar. And I don't know about you, but if, you, if I think about altars before doing any digging and investigation for this series, 
I would have thought like you build an altar as in like this, this monumental place that you stay and you come to worship. Like in Jerusalem, they would come to the altar regularly. But Abraham, he'd build an altar and then he'd go. And then he'd build an altar and then he'd go. And then he'd build an altar and then he'd go. And sometimes he would return to the same altars in Bethel. You've heard of that one. He'd return to these altars, but altars are not a singular moment. There's something we constantly build in our life to keep us focused because the altar is the recognition that it's not my will, his will be done. When they dig the wells and then they build an altar, yeah, they did the digging, but they recognize, hey, we may have done the digging, but God supplies. It's, it's a lot easier to, um, it's a lot easier to have a physical thing be um, the monument or the mountain or the altar, if you will. You know, it's, it's far easier to put a, a, a pretty sign in your house that says, as for me and the Lord, we will serve, or as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Like putting that picture up is super easy. But having that as a monument a statement within your soul that when the picture is gone, when the house is gone, when everything that you hung it on is gone, that in your soul you have a resolve that says, no, no, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we hold on to the altar with too strong a grasp, we'll have a hard time seeing when God's promised land arrives. In Exodus 16, verse 3, the Israelites have come out of slavery from Egypt. It's before Moses has gone back up onto his mountain, and they are complaining to Moses. Uh, And they were in slavery for many years, doing the bidding of the Egyptians. And it says this, it says, If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat. And ate all the bread we wanted, but now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Jez said it earlier. How many of you love change? Here's the thing. Even change that's good for you, we have opposition to. The feeling of opposition in you is not the sign of whether it's a good change or not. Sometimes we use uh, measuring sticks that are incorrect. I, I... Let me say this, and hopefully it doesn't offend anyone. I don't think it will. Uh, Often I'll hear people say uh, that, that like, you know, when you're trying to learn how to recognize the presence of God, the spirit of God, people often will tell me, they're like, oh, I know it's God because there's peace on it. I have had very few experiences in my life where the things God has asked me to do have been peaceful. (laughs) They just haven't. They've been certain. They've been clear. I've been confident, but I've been terrified. I've been worried. I've been stressed. I've wondered. So, you know, maybe for you, maybe it is. Maybe the spirit of God feels like peace to you, but that's not been my experience. And if I use the measurement of peace, I will miss out on the fulfillment God has for me. Because most things God asks me to do, are a lot more like leaping off a building, trusting him there's a landing. That's my experience. It's, it's being willing to take the step, not knowing where it ends. Or this is what I find God gives me. He gives me that picture and this step. 
And I think it's going to be straight pathway. And I think they're going to be built by a really good carpenter. So they're going to be, you know, really good carpenters, BC Co. They have to be equal steps. But have you ever been in those old houses and you're like, do this because one of the steps was the wrong size. And then it's like this. And that seems to be the path God puts me on. I'm like, well, this is great. Oh, okay, I see that. That's, oh, once, you know, that'll be like five steps and it's 372 steps to get there. And it goes over here and it goes over there. And I'm like, am I going the wrong way? And God's like, no, no, I'm doing it in you. I'm doing the work in you right now because are you trusting me? Have you got the picture, the altar moment that keeps you persevering through the moments that look like the valleys? When Moses came down and saw the Israelites worshiping the calf, did he, and he, and he uh, destroyed the stones where he had this anger moment. You know what happens next? He goes back up the mountain, gets new stones. Because even when we mess it up, God is sovereign. Even when we get it wrong, God is sovereign. He gives us a picture not to camp there. He gives a picture not for us to park there, but to park there in our spirit as a resolve that, hey, I don't know where it's going, or sorry, I don't know how it's going to get where it's going, but I know where it's going. For me, for Pastor Kimberly and I, we moved uh, to Vernon, you know, I guess we're getting close to four years ago. Um, and there's times in these last three and a half years where I thought, dear Lord, what did I do? <laughs> dear Lord, did what, what is going on? But you know what? I go back three and a half years ago to the moment where about three months before we moved, I started packing up our house. Kimberly's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, but I feel like there's a move coming. Before anyone asked us to move. No, sorry. I started packing it up three months before someone asked us to move, which was four months before we moved, which was a month before we told anyone we're moving. But every time I question when finances get tough, when relationships get hard, when a venue texts us the morning of and says we can't be there, which you don't think's happened, it has. When a truck breaks down and the trailer can't get here, or whatever. When those moments go on, I go back and say, God, I know you put me here. So if you put me here, as long as I keep trusting you for the next steps, then you'll be okay. You know, there's probably a good six to eight months in that last three and a half periods where I stopped trusting God for the next steps. And, I, and you know what? It's a lot less okay. It's funny how rocky the road God can put you on is, and, and it all works out, but how rocky a road you put it on thinking it's smooth and how badly it works out. You know, we think God's putting us on a smooth road and it's rocky, or sorry, we, we, yeah, we think God's going to put us on a smooth road and it's like a little bit rocky. We're like, well, here's a really smooth road that I'm going to go on. And it's basically like sudden death is what it is. Like, it's like every step is, every step is a cliff you fell off of and you're like picking up broken bones, trying to like re put your, is this a little too visual for you? This is how I think in my mind. He has <laughs> yeah, a graphic. And this is why I don't mountain bike or ski because those are the cliffs I'm going down and that's it. If you see me with crutch, you know, 
Even yesterday, I, I raked the lawn and I ended up dropping a wheelbarrow on my foot and it's a big egg on my foot. I am not well equipped for the outdoors. I'm well equipped for two things, coffee shops and breweries. These are what I'm well equipped for. Um, that has nothing to do with my message. Step off from the mountain moment. The mountain moment is to give you the sustenance to sustain you through the valley moments. Don't camp there. Step off from the mountain moment, park in, your, in the spirit, park in your spirit. This is that moment Peter had, and he carried it for the rest of it. He had this moment where he knew God was, that, that Jesus was someone worthy of having an altar built for, which would have been profane otherwise. It would have been offensive in the Jewish faith otherwise. He parked in the spirit, but he did not park in his feet. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to ask yourself, what is that mountain moment? What is that mountain moment that God has put in front of you? That picture, that vision he's given you? Maybe it's a home. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's not living paycheck to paycheck anymore. Maybe it's restoration with your parents. Maybe it's children. Go to that space, go to that moment, what you see from God. And here's the questions to take from there. Number one, has God put a simple baby step in front of you that looks nothing like the fulfillment of the mountain moment, that looks nothing like the fulfillment of the vision that he's put in front of you? But has he put a step in front of you? Has fear kept you from taking that step? Has pride kept you from taking that step? I can't do anything for you in this moment, but you can. You can resolve that that step that's in front of you is one you're willing to take. If I can use this analogy, so many of us want a fruit tree blossoming and full of fruit, but so few of us are willing to plant a seed. We know what it will be, but our step is a seed. If God's put a single step in front of you, how little, how big, Whatever that step is, he's teaching this. 
Obedience trumps outcome. God is faithful. I don't know, maybe you've got an experience in your world and in your life that says, well, God wasn't faithful there. I don't know. People are broken. God is faithful. Jesus, I pray right now for a church full of people who will believe again. Believe again for the dreams that they had given up on. Believe again for the fulfillment that they had forgotten. Believe again for the participation that they have to play in what you want to do in their life, God. God, I pray that you would give them the tenacity and the strength to take a step out in belief of what you have for them. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit leans on us, that your Holy Spirit is available to us, God, that even when we are afraid, even when we are uncertain, God, that when we lean on you, you direct our steps. God, that scripture that says, man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. God, I thank you that as we move, you can get us where you need to get us to. God, I thank you that you came to meet with us today. If you hadn't come, it wouldn't have been worth it. But God, let us recognize your spirit available, not just in this mountain moment right here, but available to us in our mediocre moments all around. Jesus' heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.